there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. Okay, well, let's do this. I know, you know, when you were, you were just standing here and I was thinking, how do you, how do you talk about something that is painful and difficult to understand? And, and honestly, I think one of those things we can't fully understand until we're actually living in it, you know. Um, I, I always think it's funny when people are like, we need to be prepared emotionally for some kind of letdown, so I'm not going to get my hopes up. And I always think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because I'm like, how do you not get your hopes up? I know how you pretend you don't have your hopes up. I'm fully aware of that. Um, and I know there are ways, but I also think that sometimes things just hurt and it's difficult. And I, I think grieving is a process. So I grieve today for the loss of how things have been with Collective and I'll grieve next Sunday in a different way, right? Or during the week. and. Um, Anyway, which is what I love. I believe that God allows us to emotionally process things as, um, as our capacity allows and as we're in that position instead of just all at once. You know, take, take this in all at once. Why do I say that? Um, because it's important for us to acknowledge our real feelings about the um, closure of collective as we've known it. And um, sometimes knowing things have to have to happen um, helps a little, but but it doesn't mean that it doesn't also hurt and require grief. So grief does not really care if this is the best thing for us. You know, (laughs) grief is not like, oh, was this really necessary? That's great. Grief is grief. It's our response to loss. It happens when we have loved and been loved. It happens when we have experienced community and intimacy. It happens when we understand what connected feels like. So the way then that I feel I get to honor our time together is to grieve. Um, because it shows how much the connectedness here and the life together, whether we've known each other today or for the past 10 years, I I am honoring how that has shaped who I am as a person and my understanding of God. Okay. I want us to start by just closing our eyes and put your hands, if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, you certainly don't have to, putting your feet flat on the ground and opening your hands um, where your palms are turned upward. You can just rest them on your lap. The wonderful thing about taking a posture of listening is that it doesn't have to be quiet. It's not necessarily about clearing your mind. It's not about you at all, right? But in this place, as a symbol of our openness, just asking that God would be God for you today. The simplicity, the openness, the lack of requirements or agenda. God, be God for me today. And just in your own space and in your mind and heart, allow that prayer to sit.
God, you are the source of love and the source of truth and the source of wisdom. Today, we all might need different aspects of who you are in your fullness. Be the God of comfort. Be to us the God of light. Be to us the God of guidance. The God of refuge. The God of belonging. As we open ourselves up, we ask that you would meet us in this place and speak to us as individuals and as collective. Opening your eyes, just remembering that, you know, it's, a, it's just a way to remind myself. It's amazing how God has made us as uh, an integrated whole, right, where our bodies and our minds and our souls are um the the I, I heard one time i know you guys have heard my soapbox about there's the academic and there's the spiritual and there's the physical and there's the social and that's not true right that's why trauma we store in our body we have to feel it physically which is why we see the benefits of yoga or meditation is is a way that we release implicit memories that are that are guiding our behavior, our lives, or feelings, that we're, we're an integrated whole. And so because we've been disintegrated and we've been told that things are supposed to be separate and we're supposed to compartmentalize, the gospel, I think, is, is part of this integration. And so we are the micro of God's macro integration, bringing the world together as it was meant to be, a place of love and acceptance and belonging, a, a place where truth guides and not um, subjective opinions, a place where people matter just because they are, right? And so we then, um, when we open our hands, are allowing our physical to reflect our heart. And sometimes maybe it's the hands that go first, and then the heart is like, oh yes, this is a good place to be, right? So, um, wow, so many soapboxes, and we're like four minutes in, so <laughs> it's an exciting morning. So, Today we're going to look at the gospel reading from the lectionary. It's Luke chapter 11. And I'm not sure how your Bible has chosen to label this section. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer or Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. But I'm going to read, I'll read the version that we have together here. Luke chapter 11. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, well, that's quite the translation. Because of your shameless audacity, 
he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Hashtag shameless audacity. <laughs> so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, the shameless audacity, what's the translation here that we're using? Because we'll make sure to, to use that again. Um, that's great. So, <laughs> and, you know, I think it's always fun to look at if, you know, I don't like using the Bible on my phone. We're in the midst of moving right now, and it turns out that I packed up all of the Bibles. Um, like, not even one of the kids' ones that's, you know, super sketchy and just has pictures of, like, little white children <laughs> being Jewish. And, um... <laughs> So, so anyway, I, I was looking at my phone and all these translations, and I love reading common scripture. We talked about this last week, identifying scripture we've read many times, but seeing it through a new lens, and looking at especially common English version is a good way where you're like, oh, that's a, that's a take on that, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I love that. I, I, um, I definitely recommend that. So because it's familiar, right, the Lord's Prayer. Does anybody have the Lord's Prayer memorized in its traditional sense? Right? You know, as, um, yes, so it's, it's common in all kinds of circles, whether spiritual communities or, or not. So Jesus, praying in some certain place, the unnamed place, when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So they're watching Jesus model this connection and communication with the Father, with the God of the universe. And they're like, you know, Maybe you're the one who should teach us. And they reference John, who is the forerunner for Jesus, and, and say he communicated to his disciples what this looks like to, to have a conversation with God, knowing that it's a very important and sacred practice and asking for some guidance in that. So I think one of the reasons that we love formulas so much, like please just tell me exactly how you want this to look, is because it gives us a sense of security. And I don't know that that's um, bad as much as it can become something that we then idolize the formula instead of the outcome that, the, that we would be guided to. Does that make sense? So we care more about the guidelines than the relationship that it shapes and speaks to, and we care more about how we're supposed to interact than the God with whom we're interacting. But there is something to where Jesus is willing to, they're not chastised for this. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, continue to uphold the holiness of your name and bring your kingdom now. Give us each day exactly what we need. Forgive our sins as we actively forgive those who have harmed us. And lead us not into temptation, keep us away from trials, right? So it's this, it's this idea, what do you hear in that? There's the acknowledgement of who God is, right? The holiness of God, the otherness of God, and then the acknowledgement of God's willingness to provide 
and our need for provision. So not only is it that that God has, but that also God gives. There is a huge distinction. Have you ever met someone who, let's say, has a lot, a lot of money, but them having that money doesn't necessarily mean that they're generous? And of course, there are people who are very wealthy who are generous, and there are people who are not wealthy who are generous, and there's people who are not wealthy who are super stingy and hold on to everything, you know, kind of kind of like my kid at the library, and there's all these toys, and she lays on all of them so that nobody else can play with them, right? <laughs> so it's important to remember that it's not just that God has, but that God gives. And it's not just that God has, but that we need. And need is not a way for us to be held in a lower position. It's just the way things are that we need resources that we don't naturally have, and then there's a God who is willing to give us. That we are called to love in a way that we might not have the resources to love, and there's a God who will love through us and will give us love for the world. So it's not about a, a dictator saying, I'm gonna keep you in a place of need so that you have to be dependent. It's the natural way of a relationship with a divine creator. It's the same way that our children need, not because we want to keep them in that position, because after a while, it's like, you just need to be independent on your own. I mean, you're six, time to start working. And, <laughs> but, but that it's this position of, of care. I have what you need in order to grow, in order to live fully, and I'm going to give that to you. And then the language of, of forgiveness, the acknowledgement that we don't always act in the way that we were made to be. So sin, this idea of missing the mark, and I know you've heard me say that it's not so much about being good or bad, it's not so much about morality, but sin is not being who I was made to be. I am made to be a person who lives out of the fullness and love of God and loves those around me. So when I sin, I am not loving myself or loving other people, and that's not who I was made to be. So it's when I am not being the person that I was made to be as one who loves and allows myself to be loved. It also is the call then to release the things that I might be holding against another person. Again, we're not going to get into forgiveness, but it's not saying it's okay, but it is I am not going to continue to hold somebody else's harm and... Um, Yes, and then leading us not into temptation. But this is the part I really want to talk about. So then Jesus says, okay, we're going to go into parable mode, right? I have said the direct, and usually the direct is not Jesus' mode of operation. So says maybe a few things direct, but then it's like, let's tell a story about this. Let's explain this in another way. Suppose, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me some bread. I need about three loaves because another friend of mine was on a journey and he's come in and I don't have anything to give him. Okay, here's this picture. And so it's a, it's a neighbor or someone. And the one inside says, don't bother me. The door is already locked. I'm already in bed. My kids are already in bed. Despite the friendship, even though that's not going to motivate him, it's the persistence or the shameless audacity of the, the other friend that's going to cause him to open the door. All right. Now, when we were talking about the, the prodigal son, we talked about being careful not to insert people into the parable, not to assume where people go. And so for us to 
say that God is the neighbor friend who's like, I'm not going to get out of bed, but you're persistent, so I will, is, is maybe not the most accurate interpretation. So it's not as if God is the one who, if you beg me, then I'll get up and open the door. And we know that because Jesus continues to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers or mothers, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, you give them a scorpion, all right? So even though you all are not God, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? To those who ask. There's some wrong ideas I think we've had about prayer. And one of them is that somehow part of the formula to getting God to do something for us is prayer. Like if I want God to do something to me or for me, then I'm going to need to um, use prayer as that means. And so prayer then becomes a vending machine type of thing, right? So I put in a prayer and I get out what I want. And sometimes I have to be really persistent. And so instead of just putting in the one prayer, I got to put in a whole lot because maybe they're jammed in there, right? And there's no number to call in the vending machine. So I just got to keep putting more and more prayers in there to get what I want because eventually the vending machine is going to work, right? And so it's a superstitious way to see it. If we were to take this, this first story about, you know, you have a friend, you go to him at midnight, it's, it's almost kind of like I'm going to wear this person down in order to get them to help me and give me what I need, right? It's, um, if people were to take this as God is the neighbor friend, then maybe it's I can pester them enough, or maybe we, we would see if, if this person is God, you know, if that's our picture of God, that God's pretty reluctant to give. Right? Like, God doesn't want to, but because you've been persistent, okay. Right? But this, as Jesus always offers the alternative, Jesus is the alternative to this way of thinking. You might be able to get other things in the world through pestering or through persistence. You might be able to get other people to do what you want through manipulation, okay? Whether emotional or otherwise. Maybe blackmail will work for you, all right? Jesus is, is not saying that God is one that you can blackmail or manipulate or pester into cooperation. He's actually the alternative to the way in which we receive what we want from other people. That God is actually completely other. So he starts with a, a more casual relationship, a friendship, right? So even if you're friends with someone, that friendship might not be enough but you can eventually get them to do what you want. This is not gold star. Take note, bother people until they do what you want. Okay? This is not our example, but I feel like I've heard many times, especially when the persistent widow is brought in, you know, that it's all about, I'm just going to wear you down until you do what I want. Right? So immediately, so I say to you, ask and it's going to be given. Right? Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. 
the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's no caveat there, is there? There's nothing about persistence. There's nothing about wearing down the divine. There's nothing about how you ask, the way you seek, or your style of knocking. But how many times has prayer been for us a superstitious, mysterious form of communication that if I can just figure out the missing piece here, then I'll be able to get what I want. And superstition is not foreign to practices of Christianity, right? So maybe if I knock like this, you know, then the door will be opened. Like there's a secret knock and everybody has to figure it out, right? Oh, and it's always changing. It's like the password, you know, for all of your millions of accounts. Like I've done the password remix so many times and now I don't remember the remix. And so I can't tell you how many times I'm, I just have to receive the email that says, why don't you reset your password? <laughs> um, also, it doesn't work if your password is the same for all of your things. I recently learned that the hard way. I have a new credit card now. So <laughs> it's not about the secret password. It's not about cracking the code. That's why Jesus offers the alternative of ask. That's how you receive. <laughs> Seek. That's how you find. Open your eyes. Be willing to see the God who sees you. Be willing to receive the God who gives God's self to you. Be willing to come into the fullness of life that God has opened up to you. It's not even that doors are shut. We're just using language basically that says it's here. When, when Paul is preaching in Acts 17 and says, so that those who may grope to find God will find God, although God's not at all far away from anyone. God is so near to you. So this moving around is unnecessary, even though we use that language because sometimes we understand that's how it feels, that God is distant. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? I'm not really sure what the correlation is there. If Jesus is just like, what are two randos? Okay, nobody wants a snake or a scorpion. I don't know. I'm sure there's theological meaning there. And so you are not God, and yet you know what a good gift is. So again, Jesus is presenting the alternative. You know what good gifts are. You know love, right? You know what it is to provide for. So even if you do, think of how much more, exponentially more than God is able and willing to give the things that you need. The good gifts. Do you think that's one of the ways that we have thought about God as a withholding God or, or a God who must be almost figured out, decoded, approached in a certain way? Have, have any, has anybody ever heard that there's certain language you're supposed to? I'm trying to think. One of the things I heard was that you're not supposed to ask for anything for yourself. It's um, another way. You have to pray in Jesus' name. That's an example of a superstitious thought. Um, you have to completely believe that what you pray will, will come true, which is very Disney, like, I wish upon a star to everything. <laughs> if you wish with your whole heart, especially because 
my faith that sometimes is about 20%. I don't know what 100% is. I'm talking about 100% for my normal, you know? <laughs> and I'm like 10%, and that's what I have, and that's what I'm bringing to the table, right? What else? What are some other of the superstitious things that you've... The persistence, if you ask once, then nothing's going to happen. Yeah, if you ask once, what are you expecting, okay? Wow, seven times 77. I know, yeah. There's probably a numerical. <laughs> well, the prayer closet, it was always you have to go to your prayer closet or it doesn't count. Yeah. <gasps> has so, to be early in the morning. Has to be early in the morning, yeah. Wow, the prayer closet. You have to be hungry or fasting. You have to be <laughs> fasting. Really right. No, those are, those are the big guns right there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And but you can't fall asleep. Yeah. Because <laughs> you gotta be on the floor on your knees. It's disrespectful. That's right. Yes, on your knees. Right. Gotta hold your hands together. You gotta hold your hands together. You, have you gotta to bow your head. You have to bow your head. You have to pray over your food or else. There's a lot of rules. Yeah. Then E. coli is yours if you don't pray over that food. <laughs> They should put that disclaimer at a restaurant. God is not responsible for any food you don't pray for. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that was pretty clever. Now I'm going to open a restaurant so I can have that sign. <laughs> but it is it's this, you know, what, what we are constantly faced with is, is we have a relationship that isn't like other relationships. And it might not feel all the time as, as a tangible face-to-face -face or, you know, as Paul says, that God is near. And there's all those references that God wants to be found. This is not a, uh, this is not the divine that created and then steps away, but is active in our lives, is always speaking and wants to be found. It's also a God who takes responsibility for the pursuit of those by whom God wants to be found, right? So we're in the position of receiving so even when we're seeking, there's the understanding that we're limited, right? Or else why are we praying to God anyway? Jesus is saying this understanding that we have limited faith and limited perspective and limited ability to, to seek and to knock and to ask, okay? So it was never about our ability to seek and knock and ask. It was about a God who is willing to open the door and speak and be found. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in the, this place, but your knocking is more like <laughs> barely there. Your seeking is like, I'm trying to open my eyes with toothpicks. Your asking is like just a cry, right? When the Israelites are trapped in slavery in Egypt, their prayer is a cry. That's it. And Exodus says that God heard their cries. God saw their pain. God came down and God acted. It wasn't when they prayed a specific way. When Jesus is on the cross and he's asking to be relieved of this suffering, it wasn't about the words, right? It wasn't about the place. It was about the relationship. So my understanding of Luke 11 is that we're being pointed not to a formula, but to a relationship. We're given 
this understanding of, of Jesus is asked by his disciples. There is an established connection there. They bring up John's connection to his disciples. We address God in a parental way, acknowledging who God is and who we are in light of that. And then Jesus goes on to talk about a friend and how even if the friendship isn't enough, there's still a relationship there. And then it takes it to a more personal level of parent-child, so more intimate. And then it goes to the most intimate, which is God and us, the created and the creator, the parent and the beloved. So it's progressively more intimate, progressively more connected. And the more and more connected we get, that's when we find the place where we seek and find, ask and receive, knock and the door is open. Guidelines are great, but the ultimate rule, the ultimate way to pray is Father, is God, is one who loves me. This, this addressing the one who knows what I need and is able to give it. That's what prayer is, doing what we can to acknowledge our need and being open to receive what God has for us. Luke talks about the Lord's Prayer and then says at the, at the end of verse 13, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give? He doesn't say good gifts. He's not using that same phrase, but he's using something equal. You know how to give good gifts. How much more will your, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? So apparently, this good gifts, the best gifts that we can give, on a human level at our most, you know, one of our most intimate human connections, is a little bit comparable, or maybe our best analogy for God giving us the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit represent? The heart of God, the mind of God of God, the perspective of God, the strength, the comfort, the courage, all the things that are of God becoming ours. It doesn't mean that we might not receive specific things at specific times. It does mean that what I ultimately need is to hear from God, is to stay connected to God. In the midst of everything, if, if I'm seeking it's because I need the perspective, I need the words, I need the guidance, I need the comfort, I need the love that God is willing to give. But to give you an example, I remember at one point I was praying and we talked last week about bringing our requests to God, whether or not they're filtered, <laughs> you know, not deciding if they're needs or wants. And I was praying on my knees, crying that God would allow this girl to transfer to a different planet and and there was nothing wrong with that and and, and I received the perspective of God right it's not about me cleaning things up as a about me being open to a different way of seeing the world and it doesn't mean that that fixes things but it does tell me that that's what we need the most connection with the spirit is connection with the heart of God we're constantly moving into a deeper understanding of who we are and who God is, and prayer is a means by which we do that. So, people will always debate, what is the purpose of prayer? Mm, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. How does prayer work? Does it work? What does that look like when it works? I don't know. What we're given 
is that it's a language of relationship and it's a language of receiving. We want to add other things into that, like this is how we receive, this is how we knock, this is how it looks at the end of the day. But I think we can just understand that we're moving toward a God who is already toward us. We're opening ourselves up to a voice that is already willing to speak to us. But God is not one to be manipulated. And that's amazing news. We don't have to prove that we want to hear from God. We don't, want, we don't have to prove our sincerity. We don't have to have someone else's idea of what faith is or their theology. We come with what we have. We come with our experience. We come with our understanding. And in that place, God might shape our understanding and our theology and our perspective but we get to come just as we are. When you pray, just know that there is a God who wants to be found and wants to speak. And that the Holy Spirit is with us. I know it was hard for Jesus' disciples when he was trying to tell him, yes, I'm leaving, but the amazing thing is the Holy Spirit's coming, everybody, yay! And they're like, we don't, we don't know this Holy Spirit. How could it be better than Jesus being with us in, in presence? And yet it was better for them. So maybe prayer is a way in which we get to know the mind of God. Become acquainted with the Spirit. Learn what it is to listen to God speaking in us. Right? So for those of you who are with us online, remembering that you are not only worthy of being found and seen, but you already are. So grace and peace to you. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening.